Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. He had to do it. He had to be the king guy to march around saying, this guy's awesome. This guy's wonderful. I mean, that's what this is like right here. He said, curse him. And, and he just bless him and bless him and bless him. And I, I thought of that story, how God, another one, a story where God's kids, the enemy was like, I want to curse him. I want to kill him. I want to hang him. And God said, watch, watch, I'm going to bless him. And just smush that in your face a little bit, enemy. Isn't it awesome to be on his side? Isn't it wonderful to be his kid? Not to be across the fence. If God is for us, who can be against us? You likely have heard that verse from Romans chapter 8. But do you live like it? Many of us live in fear of other people. Even in our country, where the worst you would usually experience is a little ridicule, we want to protect our image, so we avoid public displays of our faith. In today's message, Pastor Bill will remind us that God protects and provides for His children. Whatever you may lose for following Him, you'll see benefits that far outweigh those losses. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers chapter 23 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. We're picking up at 2312, and it says this. So he answered and said, must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? So as Balak is questioning him, man, why'd you do this? Why'd you bless them when I asked you to curse them? And he had already told him, I can only say what the Lord tells me. So he says, you know, um, must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Verse 13. Then Balak said to him, please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall only see the outer part of them and shall not see them all. Curse them for me there. And so Balak won't quit. Balak's like, let's let's go to a different area. And I want you to look at the group from a different vantage point. You won't see everybody, the whole group. You'll just see a corner, the outskirts of them. Maybe you could curse them from there. And Balak is thinking it's a maybe it's a it's a matter of, you know, position. Maybe it's a matter of location that we can't get this thing through, that we can't get this curse done to them. He doesn't understand. And we're going to see as we go through this chapter that he's a carnal man and he doesn't understand spiritual things. And when it comes to God's kids, location is irrelevant because our God is where he's everywhere. One of the, the theological terms for God is that he's omnipresent. That your God is everywhere. Nobody else is like God. The devil is not like God. The devil can only be at one place at one time and there's only one devil. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time, fully present. So God can be fully present to meet with us, to minister to our needs and to be with us here in Inglewood. And he's across the globe somewhere else meeting with other people and attending to them in the same way. And he's not spread too thin. He's not, you know, he's not worn out from all the going and doings. God is everywhere present. It's part of who he is. And so Balak doesn't understand this. He says, maybe we can go to this area here. We can get this thing through. Maybe God won't see it from over there. And I would just throw this out to us because the psalmist says something similar. Can you go anywhere out of God's presence? Never. He says, you can't go anywhere out of his presence. No matter where you go, he's there everywhere. And you would think for believers, we wouldn't want to get outside of God's presence. But there are people that go places and do things and they be ducking and dodging and hoping that maybe he's not here. Maybe he don't see that. He's everywhere. He sees everything. And the way that that hits you has a lot to do with how you live your life. If the knowledge that God is everywhere, sees everything and is fully aware of everything that you do at all the times, it it either scares you 
or it ministers. You either say, wow, he's everywhere? You mean you got me covered no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing every point of the day? Or you're like, he's everything? Everything, it has everything to do with how you're living. So just so y'all know, he's everywhere all the time. Sees everything. Let it hit you how it hits you, all right? Moving on. He said, um, verse 14, so he brought, he brought him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and he built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Interesting that Balaam knew he couldn't take Balak with him. He said, you stay over here by your little offerings. I'm going to go over there and meet with the Lord. I just thought that was interesting. This is, he's done this more than once. He told him, you stay over here while I go over there and meet with the Lord. Just want you to consider this. Are there people in your life or things in your life that you have to say, you stay right here while I'm going to meet with the Lord? You, they can't come with you Thursday night. They, they can be with you on Friday night, but they can't be with you on. Are there people, are there things in your life that that's how their category is? You wait here while I go meet with the Lord. Shouldn't be. We should be. I should, if, if I'm going to meet with the Lord, I should be, you, you know, there, there, should, there shouldn't be. I shouldn't have to compartmentalize the spiritual aspect of my life. But he sets him over there. To, he can go meet with the Lord. Verse 16. Then the Lord met Balaam and he put a word in his mouth and he said, go back to Balak and thus you shall speak. And I just want to say this because I'm kind of blown away by it. When I think of Balaam and how he's behaving and the things he's doing, I'm thinking, God, why do you speak to him? Why do you even deal with people like that? And then I look in the mirror and he's dealing with me and he's dealing with you. It just is a demonstration of his mercy. You know, I mean, he's speaking to him. Balak said, hold on, I got to go meet with God. I'm, I mean, I'm with the enemy doing the enemy stuff. And hold on, enemy. God, we're going to talk to you for a minute. And God shows up and talks to him. That's, I'm just blown away. So this is one thing you'll know. Balaam won't be without excuse. God is meeting with him, speaking to him and telling him. And if it's not being made clear to anybody else, these things are written in the scriptures that we might know that God wasn't having anybody curse Israel. That's his people. And so carrying on, you stand over here while I go meet with the Lord. He went to meet with the Lord and God, the Lord spoke to him, verse 16, and, and put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he came to him and there he was standing by his burnt offering and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? Then he took up his oracle and said, every time you see that phrase, he took up the oracle. The oracle is the prophetic word. He, he's getting ready to speak a prophetic word. He, he took up, he's getting ready to say what God, what he got from God. He said, then he took up his oracle and said, rise up Balak and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. And I want you to note that Balak is in front of all his princes and all the people that he's over. And he's getting ready to hear from God in front of all these people. Verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? This is supernatural language telling him, what did God already say? That's what God's going to do. What did God already speak over there? That's what God's going to do. God's not a man that he should lie. God, what God said he's going to do, that's exactly what God is going to do. Bless them and curse y'all. But he needed to hear it again. Verse 20, behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. And I, I highlight that in my Bible. He is blessed and I can't reverse it. No one, no one can turn it back. And this one right here, and I, I wanna, I'm going to pause on 21. He says, 
He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Pause for a minute. I get that God is saying, these are my babies. These are my kids. I bless them. No one can curse them. But I want you to pay attention to verse 21. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Now, we've been reading this story together. Have we seen have we seen wickedness in Israel? Have we seen idolatry? We've seen sin. We've seen complaining. We've seen. We've, I mean, he's punished them as a matter of fact. But right here, God says to the enemy. No, nah, I don't see nothing wrong with them. They're perfect. How's that happen? And if you're writing notes, I want you to write down Psalm 103. I'm going to read verses 10 through 14. Um, just a side note, if you, if you, I, I, I titled Psalm 103 God's Benefits Package. So if you ever want to go through and just read the benefits of being God's kids, you go read Psalm 103. But I want to highlight verses 10 through 14 of Psalm 103. He says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and remembers that we are just dust. And it's just a reminder to the child of God that when God forgives you, it's forgiven. I mean, I'm reading this story thinking like they just messed up. Like it was not that many chapters ago that they were doing all this wild, crazy stuff. And God and they're going to do some more stuff and God's going to deal with them. But God speaks on it here and says, no, I don't see any. They're good. They're good with me. And again, for the New Testament saint, um, it's, it's an amazing thing to consider that though we're flawed, though we sin, though we make we make mistakes, we fall short of his glory, that positionally God's perspective about you and me is that we're good. Our sins are washed away. Our sins are, I mean, they're washed away. We are good with God because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. And uh, that, that's, that, that ministers to me. It comforts me to know that God, that God's perspective on me is not based on my performance, but it's based on coming right through my relationship with Jesus Christ as back here, you know, God is looking at them and saying, Hey, the Lord has not observed iniquity in Jacob. I, I, I had to pause when I read that. I, I, I went back and read the, the language. I went back and read the words. And I'm thinking, did he forget it? You know, but, but he's saying I'm, I'm not regarding it in, in them. They're, 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 they're not under my punishment. They're under my hand of blessing. Verse 22, God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. For there, uh, this is verse 23, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination Against Israel, and I also mark that in my Bible. God says, "Look, against my people, there won't be any sorcery or divination against my people." And I would just remind us as believers: I, I hate to hear Christians acting or behaving as though they're afraid of demonic things or supernatural things, or um, you know, what's the other word? Superstitious sort of stuff. Did you walk under the ladder? Oh. You know, did you put an umbrella up in the house? All these little silly wise tales type stuff, you know, as believers, we're we're to, we need to know this. Um, that there's no sorcery that's going to prevail against us. The enemy doesn't have any power over the child of God. None. Um, the enemy has power and his power is out there. 
God has all power. We're under his hands. And anything that the enemy can do has to be permitted by our God. God has to say, you know what? Devil, you can do that much. Like we read the story of Job. When God said, Job, you know, when God told Satan, where you been? Have you considered my servant Job? He says, as a matter of fact, I have. And there's a hedge about him and all that he has on every side. How do you know that, devil? Because you looked. And around him and all that he has on every side, there's a hedge I can't get through. And God said, I'm going to let you get through. You can touch his stuff, but can't touch him. Then he said, I'll let you touch him, but you can't take his life. And God set the parameters as far as, enemy, you can only go that far. And, and, I, and if I'm allowing that, I'm allowing it with divine purpose. And God had divine purpose and everything he allowed in Job's life. So as a believer, I'm not to be afraid. If you, if you see somebody, you think, man, that looked like something demonic. We shouldn't be the ones going, oh, we should be going over and just, I'm going to pray. My, my God has all authority and all power in his hands. And I'm going to ask him. I'm going to just call upon God to, to remove this, to intervene. If somebody's threatening, you know, voodoo on you or I'm a woo-woo to you or whatever, you shouldn't be tripping off of that. You ain't got no power. I remember as a kid, my, my father's side of the family is pretty superstitious. And so I'd be at my grandmother's house for the weekend and she would comb my sister's hair and she would comb her hair and she would take all the hair and put it in an ashtray and burn it. And then she would tell me, when you go to the barber shop, you collect your hair. You don't let them keep your hair because she was convinced that people could take your hair and do stuff to you through your hair. And I remember my mom set me free. We weren't Christians, but my mom had Christian understanding. My mom said, she said, it, that only works if you believe in it. So just don't believe in it. It won't work. I was like, that's easy. I don't believe in it. And I mean, I'd be at my grandma. I don't believe in that grandma. You know, I'm just loving my hair at the barbershop. It don't work if you don't believe in it. And I, 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 I took that hook, line and singer from mom, set me free. I ain't never been superstitious or afraid or whatever. Um, be careful that, that you're not walking around afraid of this, that, and the other. I talked about it in another study and I won't go all into it tonight, but we're to walk in the fear of who? God. Satan's always trying to steal that which belongs to God. And if Satan can get people that are supposed to be fearing God, fearing him, that's a win for him. That's a win. I, I got them fearing me. I believe that's what's behind the whole horror movie. How come there's so many movies with spiritual and demonic themes for your entertainment? Who's behind that? Why is that? He's behind that. He's behind that saying, let, let, me, let me entertain you and get you freaked out and scared of all this other stuff. While, while you're encouraged to live in absolute, just, you know, reckless, sinful woo before the Lord, don't fear him, fear this. That's, that's what's being pumped out. And if you look at our society, that's what people fear. They don't fear God. They live in all kinds of sin in front of God's face. But let something spooky, let you watch a movie and you be every creaking, what is that? You know, this is something's coming. You know, they be all afraid of, of those things. That's the enemy say, I got you, got you fearing me. I want, he wants everything belongs to the Lord. So I believe as the children of God, there's to be a boldness about us. Not an arrogance, but a boldness because we're confident in our God. And we're not afraid. We're not scared. We're not easily deterred. We're not, you know, spooked by every little thing that takes place. And when there are things that are truly spiritual in nature, we're the people to call on. We're the people to come pray. We're the people to come call on the name of the Lord. And I'll just say this and move on. I have on a few occasions been a part of dealing with people that were actually demon possessed. And it's not anything that you look forward to. It's not like, oh, I want to go see demons or nothing like that. But I will say this in every instance where I've seen someone delivered from demon possession, it was just like this. And I'm, it was as simple as this. There was prayer, 
There was just simple prayer. There wasn't yelling. Um, there wasn't like, Lord, we ask. It was just very simple. God, we ask right now. This is of the devil. This is demonic. Lord, we ask that you would you would cast out everything that's of darkness. That's not of you. Every the enemy is taking over this person. God, we pray you would cleanse them now that you would deliver them now that they might have opportunity to receive you in clarity and in power. That simple. No yelling, no screaming, no throwing oil, no rolling on the floor. And I've watched the Lord move and deliver just like that. And so I'm convinced that it's not of our power. It's not of the it's not of your yelling. It's not the your, your, your heightened voice doesn't get you through to heaven any greater. It's your faith that says my God has authority over those demons. And so I'm asking him to intervene in this and I'll just commit it to him. He has all power and authority in his hands. Some people say, well, can't they get on you? No. Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you born again? The spirit of God live in you? If you're not, you need to get saved because um, you're, you're, you're victim. You're, 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 you're open game at all times as a non-believer. As a believer, again, I'm not to walk in that fear. When they come out, can they come get me now? No. No, they can't. No. If you're born again, no, they can't come get you. They, they be cast out. They have to go somewhere else. Find somebody else that don't know God to join up with. So anyway, just you might mark that in your Bibles. There's no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It, um, it now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Verse 24, look, people, look, a people rises like, the, like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. So this was his next prophecy concerning Israel. God doesn't see any sin in them. No sorcery or uh, divination against them is going to stand. They're like a lioness. They're not going to bow down until they finish devouring their prey. I mean, they're like the ox he said earlier on. I mean, he just spoke this word of, I mean, these people are strong. They're blessed. They're mighty. They can't be cursed. God is with them. Doesn't even see their flaws. Wham, wham, wham. He's prophesied again. Blessings over them. Verse 25. Then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. This Balak is done. He said, man, look, if you're not going to curse them, can you just not bless them? Can you shut up? Can you just not do nothing? If you're not going to do what I want, which is to curse them, can you just not bless them then? You know, can you you just say nothing? And I, I just can imagine that he's here just exasperated, sick of these, these wonderful prophetic words that are going forth, uh, against his enemy, what he's, what he's created as an enemy. And in verse 26, so in verse 26, so Balaam answered and said to Balak, did I not tell you saying all that the Lord speaks that I must do? And I had this thought when I read this. Um, if you guys remember the story of Esther, when um, Haman was plotting his plan against Mordecai and he wanted, I mean, he wanted to hang him on the gallows and he was, he had people building the gallows to hang him on and he just had this wicked, wicked plot. And one night he was there and he didn't know that the king had in mind to bless Mordecai because Mordecai had saved his life and he had been reading his little, you know, memoir, remembering what Mordecai did for him. He said, you know, hey, man, help me out, man. I, I, what would you do for somebody that was just, you know, just the king wanted to really bless somebody. And Haman thinking that this must be for me. I mean, he threw it, he, he lathered it on. He said, you know what? I would put him in the king's chariot on the king's horse with the special outfit on and in front of everybody and, and have him walk to them around town saying, this man is great, you know, and just, I mean, he just built up all these things he would want for himself. And the king said, that's great, man. 
do that for Mordecai the Jew. Oh, can you imagine what that was like for him? He had to do it. He had to be the king's guy to march around saying, this guy's awesome. This guy's wonderful. I mean, that's what this is like right here. He said, curse him. And, and he just blessed him and blessed him and blessed him. And I, I thought of that story, how God, another one, a story where God's kids, the enemy was like, I want to curse him. I want to kill him. I want to hang him. And God said, watch, watch how I'm going to bless him. And just smush that in your face a little bit, enemy. Isn't it awesome to be on his side? Isn't it wonderful to be his kid, not to be across the fence? And I, as I read this, I realize it's not even being, these ain't even good kids. <laughs> they're not even, but they're his, right? And maybe some of y'all may need that encouragement tonight. You ain't been good kids, but you're his. He, he loves his naughty kids too, you know? And we can thank him for that. He's a merciful, gracious God. So, verse, um, uh, verse, so verse 25, once again, Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, did I not tell you, saying, all that the Lord speaks, that I must do? Then Balak said to Balaam, please come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me um, from there. And once again, he's just not getting it. He said, well, I got another, let's go to another location and maybe God will curse them for now, I want you to. I, I was just breaking that down in my work, my Bible. Was it, maybe it'll please God that you may curse them for me. I want you to curse them for me. Do it for me from that place over here. I wrote down in my notes Acts eight twenty. If you guys remember, Simon the sorcerer thought he could buy the power of God, and um, as he started following with the disciples, and he saw that when they laid hands, people received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, and he said, "Man, I." I want that power. You know, he was a sorcerer where they did tricks. It was almost like magician stuff where you, you buy stuff. Hey, I mean, buy the secret to that trick right there. You know, show me how you do that thing. Or let me buy the, the right to that. And he came and Peter said, man, and Peter exposed him that he wasn't even right with God. He said, man, he said, your money perished with you. You thought you could buy, I mean, you thought you could buy this. You can't buy this. And then he started talking about what was really going on in his heart. But it's just a reminder to me that People outside of Christ, outside of God, don't understand the thing. They, they may see that he has power, but they don't understand that it's not something that we can do what we want to do with. Not something for us to do whatever we want to do with it. We can't take God's power and wield it for our benefit, for our advantage. That's the, as we talk about the way of Balaam in a little bit, one of the ways of Balaam is just that. That he's got, he's got a, a supernatural Ability to connect with God, to get a word from God, to, be, to get the oracle of the Lord, the prophetic word, and speak it forth. But he's not wanting to do the right thing with what God has put in his hands. He's wanting to, he's so hungry for money and accolades from people. He wants power. That he's taking what he has and he's trying to see how can he leverage it to gain what he wants. Instead of using it to just do what God would want him to do with it. And so we, we want to be cautious about the way of Balaam that everybody here has got gifts and abilities and talents and things that we, we, we've been, we possess because God's given them to us. Maybe it's insight. Maybe it's knowledge of things. Uh, we've all been given certain things that God's have given you this stuff. Make sure that we're not using whatever it is that we have, leveraging it to, to just do our own thing. But God, how do I use everything that I am and everything that I have to glorify you? That's the, the, the goal in the heart of every Christian, every believer. God, how do I take all that I am 
and all that I have and everything that you've given me, how do I give it back to you in a way that glorifies you and ministers to others? You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Numbers, well, it has a lot of numbers, but there's much more in this book than that. During their long, drawn-out journey, the Israelites' faith in God is tested. In return, these wayward people test God's patience towards them, but God remains faithful and true in looking out for His chosen people. When you think about it, it's no different today. People disobey and test God's patience, while they also endure hardships and challenges that they wouldn't have desired. But in all, God remains faithful through and through. If you missed any part of this series in the book of Numbers, you can hear these messages by going to CalvaryInglewood.org. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're ever in the Inglewood area, we'd like to meet you. Our service times are on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website is CalvaryInglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Numbers, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You might be surprised by how things in this book might apply to the very things you're working through in your own life. So be sure to join us again to hear and be challenged by a transforming word.